0: Hello, this is Todd. This is Kathy. And this is Conversations with People We Love, brought to you by BU Incorporated.
1: On this show, we talk with authors and we talk with teachers, we talk with friends and anybody that has a story to share that can help us open our heart and be more aware of who we are.
0: Hope you enjoy the show. This is Todd Adams. And this is Kathy Adams. And welcome back to Zen Parenting Radio. This is another conversation with people we love. And today we're interviewing a gentleman by the name of Matt Theodores, who is the director of a program called Maine Boys to Men. Matt, are you there?
2: I am. Hi, Todd. Hi, Kathy. Hello.
0: So glad you can join us. So, Matt, I don't know how I found your website or your Facebook page. Uh, I actually reached out to the previous director and i just i am somebody who is a big fan of finding resources for boys and i feel like there's not that many out there so when i found it i i called up who is was what's the name of the former director
2: uh, Drew Wing was the director for the last four years before go. I joined.
0: So I reached out to Drew and he's like, well, you know what? I'm actually, um, somebody else is going to be taken over for me. So here we are. So welcome. So glad you do what you do, uh, for boys to men. And I'm just wondering an obvious first question is what is boys to men? Can you help us out?
2: Sure, yeah, and thanks for thanks for reaching out. I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. And uh, Boys to Men is an organization I've been involved with for about two years now, and I joined as the executive director um, in September. But that was after supporting the organization as a board member and, and a supporter for a couple of years prior to that. But we're a nonprofit organization. We're We're focused on eliminating interpersonal violence, and specifically male violence against women and girls. The approach we take, though, is by working with boys and men of all ages, and, um, you know, at at the core of our um, approach is this belief that all boys have the potential to grow up to be emotionally healthy, respectful, nonviolent men, and all of our programs uh, focus on that as the outcome, um, as sort of the common theme across all of our programs. I'd be glad to talk about the, the programs a little bit if you're, if you're interested um,
0: in those. Yeah, I, I definitely well, want to get it. Go ahead, sweetie. Actually,
1: I have a question for you, Matt. So sure, yeah. So are you working with people who are just in Maine, or do you guys have webinars, and you know, are you working, is it more expansive, or are you guys working like, you know, face to face with people?
2: Yeah, it's a good question. We, we started as an organization in Maine about 15 years ago, and it started as a coalition, a community coalition, that held an annual conference for boys here in Maine. And after about seven or eight years of success in that, we actually formed a nonprofit and began to build out our programs beyond that. All of our direct programs are serving boys and men here in Maine, uh, but we've been recognized uh, for some of the work we do engaging men in this work, and we've been recognized nationally for some of that work. So I guess the best way to look at it is some of our learnings and some of our capabilities have been made available to other communities but our direct services here in Maine.
1: Well because I was you know reading over what Todd gave me and you know you can talk more about these but you know you have a boys outdoor leadership development program a reducing sexism and violence program and a boot camp for new dads which is so <laughs> necessary um, and it says serving men of all ages so will you talk about each of those and and what you do in those?
2: Sure, I'd be glad to. Yeah, the um, you know one of the things I think makes us unique, I guess, a couple things. One is that we started on this work of engaging men and boys, and as part of the solution in in stopping the cycle of violence, we started that work long before it became popular, and you know, fortunately now that's becoming a much more known you know uh, need that uh, in order to stop the cycle of violence men need to be you know working with women as part of the solution yeah so we've been doing that but the other thing that we recognize is that it's very much a multi-generational issue and so we have programs that work not only with boys themselves and their peers and we in, we include girls in the program working alongside them but we also work with other generations we work with parents we work directly with fathers and we work with Um, teachers and coaches, uh, and other adult influencers influencers in their lives. So the the first program I'll talk about is the Boot Camp for New Dads, and that's a national program, and it's one that we've implemented here in Portland. And what we do, essentially, is we work with fathers who are expecting their first child uh, over the course of the next couple of months, and they hear from other dads what the opportunities are around that and what some of the challenges are around that. And, you know, most of them come in with an understanding of fatherhood based on what they grew up with and what they saw as a child. And what happens through this program is they're able to see other styles of parenting Mm. that they may not have been um, exposed to. And so through this learning and modeling that they see from others, they're able to sort of make their own decisions about what kind of father they want to be. And the goal really is to let them know that there's an opportunity for them if they're interested to be an equal participant in the parenting of their kids. And Mm, so oftentimes the, the fathers come away with a much more open perspective of not only what fatherhood's all about, but different ways of... Um, you know, uh, working with their children and really making their own decisions about what behaviors and what attitudes they want to carry down to the next generation within their family.
0: Um, well, Matt, I have three daughters, and I I feel like I did a decent job when our first daughter was born. I was the new dad, but um, I know that I would have adored. You know, we did, Kathy and I did the you know the birthing class, and you know it, but it has nothing to do with what happens after that baby comes out, and it was. It, it, it w- it's so hard, Mo- mostly for the mom. I think uh, obviously the dad's uh, responsibility is is to be a good dad, but more to support the mom in the that first year because I've always said that when when Kathy had our first child, um, you know, her life ch- turned upside down indefinitely, whereas mine turned upside down. For like three or four days and then I went back to my workplace and it's really kind of an unfair system and an unfair setup, but I didn't really know what else to do other than go to work. And I just think I would have adored such a program because we had, Kathy and I had some,
1: yeah some growing some stress. pains. Yeah and, and, yeah, and that you really have to, the language that I love that you use, Matt, was that, you know, they have the opportunity to be, uh, you know, a partner, you know, not someone who just provides and shows up at 7pm, but a partner in this and that it becomes a partnership. And as Todd and I always say to new dads, this is like, it's not just you're stepping up to help the mom, you get to create mm-hmm. a relationship with this child that's deeper than maybe what you experienced. Is, is that what you guys are kind of doing too?
2: it is it's both of the things that you just talked about one is really making sure that these men understand how they can be a supportive uh, spouse uh, or supportive partner in the parenting of the child but the other is to kind of break away from whatever the gender stereotypes are that these men come in with whether it's based on you know the cultural stereotypes that they see or messaging they see through the media or whether it's based on their own experience as a parent the way the program works is new fathers come in with their babies as volunteers and actually talk to them about the experience. And there's some power to having the fathers walk in holding their babies in their arms and cuddling with them that opens up that, you know, for for men that might be uncomfortable before their first child, it opens up that whole notion of being close and compassionate with your baby. Uh, And then a lot of the fathers come back and get trained as coaches, so it's really a program that's run by men that have been through it and that have learned a lot benefit from the experience and want to come back and share with other new fathers, the, as you said, the opportunities that come along with being, you know, being a dad. That's
0: great. Well, and so I,
2: that, that's
0: our, yeah. I, I remember my experience when my kid was born, I didn't cry. And all my buddies said, Oh my God, when your baby's born, you're going to like just start, start bawling. And I thought there was something wrong with me. And I'm guessing <laughs> yeah. that through that program, there's probably some dads who did, you know, emotionally release. And then there's other dads who didn't. And, I guess I wouldn't have felt so abnormal had I uh, had some more support.
1: You had a spectrum to pull from.
2: Yeah, yeah, and it's you know it's a time in a man's life I think where they're open to learning, and you know they recognize that mm-hmm. they're facing an experience where they they haven't been before, and they're willing to be a little bit more vulnerable. And I think getting them that in that environment with peers that are going through the same thing sort of fosters that vulnerability a little bit and makes it okay to, to talk about some of those fears that they might not otherwise talk about.
0: Well, it's so funny because, you know, sometimes we talk about current events on our weekly podcast and we talked about, I think it was David Wright on the Mets, is that who it was, Do you know, that took um, paternity leave for more than yeah. a day and he was criticized for it. Right. Right. (laughs) And it's funny how, you know, these as as bad as that is, and I want to talk about, you know, the whole idea of violence against women. Some of these current events happen and you think it's so awful, but it it creates an awareness that otherwise would be hard to capture, like the Ray Rice thing, as sad as that video was, it it it, it It started a conversation. It started a conversation that people that that wouldn't have happened had had that occurrence hadn't happened.
2: Yeah, no, that it's 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 an it's an issue that's very easy for people not to wanna to deal with, um, just because it's a difficult one. And I think, you know, the tendency is to pretend it's not happening at the at the rate that it is. And, you know, the good news behind seeing a story like that play out in front of the public is it does make it very hard to deny. Um, and then, you know, it, there's an opportunity for people to understand that, um, you know, how widespread it really is and how close to home some of those issues can be. So that is the that is the upside of having that all out there is it is exposing an issue that's been out there for a long time.
1: I so agree. And the program that you guys offer that I was so, you know, personally excited about was the um, RSVP, the Reducing Sexism and Violence Program. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah. So That's um, that was actually the first program that we implemented um, after after shifting from just the conferences, and we modeled that program after a program that had been used with um, professional sports teams, been used with college sports teams, and been used with the military. And essentially, what it does is it helps raise awareness around what the issue is around violence against women to you know raise awareness of how widespread that is what the various types of abuse are um and uh, really just create awareness that it's an issue that is all around us and it, it doesn't start with just physical abuse or sexual abuse but it starts in a lot of cases with a general disrespect for women and leads to verbal and emotional abuse. So there's a lot of education around that. And our program is aimed at um, middle school and high school students primarily. Uh, We've also done some work with colleges. But it's creating awareness about what the issue is, the the other thing we do is we really help the participants, and it's usually half girls and half boys in a room together, and there's usually about 30 or 40 participants. We help them understand as men, as, as young men, why they should care about this issue. Mm. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, by by tying it back to women that they care about in their lives, by helping them understand the spectrum of abuse, by helping them understand the you know the the fact that you know one out of you know five women going off to college is likely to experience um, you know some sort of sexual assault that in high school the numbers are you know just as staggering in terms of dating abuse to help them understand that and to acknowledge that their environment probably isn't that much different than what some of these statistics show, and then tying it back to um, you know what that's like as they think about people that they love, women and girls in their lives that they care about uh, potentially um, being victimized. They're able to get uh, come to a lot of compassion around that issue, yeah. um, and and in the discussion, the, you know, one of the most powerful parts of that program is when the boys hear from the girls from their peers. Um you know really what it 's like to be the recipient of some of these disrespectful behaviors, and what it 's like to have to worry about you know every time you walk out the door to have to worry about what might happen or every time you get in a car with somebody what you you know having to worry like that and for a lot of these boys it 's really sort of eye opening they haven 't thought about it that much um and when the girls share their fears around it and their experiences around it the the boys listen, and they hear it. So, you know, they, um, you know, they they understand from that perspective why it's important. But the other thing that they understand is, you know, most boys are good kids, you know, they're not, yeah. you know, just because 90% of the violent crimes are cr- committed by men doesn't mean that 90% of the men are committing crimes. The majority of men are good men that want to, uh, you know, want to uh, be respectful and want to Um, you know, do the right thing, and unfortunately, men get labeled as um, potential perpetrators, and so the, the, the boys are very vocal about the fact that, you know, just because they're men and, you know, this issue is prevalent, that even though they are often coming to situations as you know, as a good person, the label of being, you know, uh, an aggressive male and power and control and all the stereotypes that go along with it hurts them as well. It limits them as well. Um, Yeah,
1: that is so true. And Matt, I just had an experience. I was in New York last weekend, and I got on an elevator and it was about 10, you know, it's kind of late. And a man got on the elevator with me and, you know, not a big deal. But then I realized we were going to the same floor. And so when we got off on the floor, I got off first, and he was walking behind me, and I was all the way down the hallway. And that's one of those things, like, and I hadn't even told Todd this story, but where that's, women have to think about those things. I had to think to myself, what will I do if there is a problem? Like, I had to, I put my hand in my purse, so I had my phone. I knew that I could scream. I I went through all these thoughts in my head. And when I got to my room and I had my key, I turned, and he actually was right across the hall, and he looked at me, and he smiled, and... And I say that because I think he knew he was scaring me Mm -hmm. and he felt bad about it. Like he was like trying to slow down. And so both examples you just gave about women have to think about these scary things. And he's sitting there thinking, I'm just trying to get to my room and she probably thinks I'm (laughs) following her. So you're right. This is an issue um, and it affects both of us.
0: Well, and I'll say um, that even as a grown man, it's what you said, Matt, about how as a male, it's, we don't know what it's like to be a girl and, you know, the potential hazards or dangers that are out there for girls that really we don't have to worry about. And it's one, it's one thing like, yeah, these boys don't know. I would say that the men don't know, like even us adults, we, if we did know, we forgotten it. Like, I don't really integrate that. And, and in a way anybody can use the information that we're talking about is what it's like to be walking around, like in a, to be a girl in this world. It's crazy. Yeah.
2: Yeah, yeah, and that's where, you know, through this RSVP program, as we talk about why we all need to care, you know, when you have an issue like this that's affecting half of the population at the rate that it is, you know, there's really no way that we all can't be interested in being part of a solution around that. And regardless of the age, whether it's middle school or high school or college, men get that and boys get that and they they want to be part of the solution. And so the, the other thing that we focus on is how, how to do that. What, you know, now that they understand it, now that they're aware of it, now that they want to help work you know, as allies with girls to, um, to address it, what are some ways that they can do that? And we go, we go through a lot of um, intervention training, bystander intervention training, so that we can really make them all comfortable that there's a lot of different ways to intervene safely, that don't involve throwing more violence at the problem, right, yeah. and so we go through a lot of um, scenarios where we actually have them play out what they would do in certain situations, and people take different you know different paths depending on their comfort level and in the situation, but they practice making the decision of whether to get directly involved not necessar- not necessarily confrontationally, but to get directly involved in it or whether it's a situation where they might choose to delegate it by pulling somebody else into it, um, or whether they might choose to distract, you know, the situation, or even if they're not able to act in the situation, the value of coming back afterwards and being supportive to the victim rather than just pretending it didn't happen. And so Mm -hmm. through a number of scenarios, we go through um, some education around how to be a, a, a bystander, you know, a positive bystander. Um, and they get some experience in, you know, in examples and scenarios that they can definitely relate to as being real. They're able to make those decisions, um, oftentimes different than what they would have, you know, would have made without the without the
0: education. So well, true. it's so funny because in this day and age, um, you know, we put so much pressure on our children to excel, and I'm speaking in general terms. That even Kathy and I have had have tried to create some programs for boys and stuff like this. Like we've we've tried to do some programs, not exactly like the one you're describing, but something similar about getting the boys to be in touch with their emotional intelligence,
1: self awareness type yeah. of self awareness.
0: And it's I'll be darned. It's really not that easy to get the. We're competing against soccer and lacrosse and football and school and everything else. Yeah. So my question to you is, is this like part of the school curriculum, or are these kids stepping outside of their curriculum and doing this after school in lieu of other things?
2: It's it's outside of the core curriculum, but for the most part, they're doing it within school hours, so the, the kids are being pulled from other classes to participate, although I will say we're doing some weekend work as well for schools that don't want to disrupt the classroom time. Um, but as an example, um, earlier this week, I spent two half days with a football team here in Maine, so we had Fifty boys grades nine through twelve, and we went through portions of the RSBP program um, with those fifty boys uh, over the course of two afternoons and and they forfeited some of their practice time and they forfeited some study hall time, but we worked out an agenda that they were able to do two two half days. A lot of the other schools will work in three hour modules where we 'll come in over a course of four or five weeks and work with the students um, in three-hour blocks. Uh, and a lot of schools are able to sort of work that kind of a time frame within the school day.
0: So, Matt, let's say that there's a school principal listening to this right now and says, wow, this seems interesting. I'd love to have a program like this at my school, whether it's in Maine or California or anywhere else. Is this something that is uh, something that you support other groups to do or or, or- Have you been able to leverage what you've done to communities outside of Maine, I guess is my question.
2: Um, We have a curriculum that's published that is very strong on its own, and with some guidance, the right facilitator would be able to implement it elsewhere. Um, we, we train people here, um, by shadowing some of our programs and then we'll run periodic training for facilitators, but there's no reason that people from outside of Maine couldn't participate in that training and deliver our curriculum elsewhere. We haven't, we haven't put that out there, you know, in an attempt to distribute it that way yet. Um, but we are looking for, um, opportunities to put, Portions of our curriculum out to other organizations that can can use it, you know, while they're with kids also, rather than just having us deliver it directly. Well, so and that a, could, that could,
0: yeah. I'm curious, uh, just ha- when these boys start this, and it's called RSVP, Reducing Sexism and Violence Program, uh, is yes. it met with some resistance? Like, does it are they, does it take a while for the boys to? embrace this or are they serious off the bat? I mean, I know I'm asking a a question that might be hard to answer, but I guess like, what is the uh, perception of it in the community? Like, is it a cool thing to do? Is it something you have to do or somewhere in between?
2: Yeah, so, you know, we'll go into a school and we'll work with typically a group of 30 or 40 students, and it'll be half boys and half girls, and those students are selected as leaders amongst their school. It doesn't mean the traditional leader. It could be a lot of different um, types of leaders, but they're selected by the administrators um, to participate, and so it's viewed as an opportunity by a lot of them to, 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 to take advantage of something that was offered to them that they were asked to be part of. Um, we talk early on about their preconceived notions about what this is going to be and what our preconceived notions about them might have been. And very quickly, uh, as we get started with them, it becomes fun. It becomes a leadership opportunity. Uh, they understand that they have an opportunity to become a leader around an important topic. And, uh, for the most part, you know, from what I've seen, the students are very engaged throughout the process, and a lot of the schools carry on um, beyond our involvement with an R S B P club, so they'll take on certain projects that they want to uh, continue to deliver this sort of material to other schools within their district, or they'll take on projects within their school. So we're really enabling them to carry our work forward afterwards, and, uh, you know, several of the schools have kept that going with the right leadership from the the staff, as well as the right student participation, That's, so I guess an answer to your question, it's viewed I think as an opportunity for most of them, and then the even these fifty football players were very engaged for two days mm-hmm. when I'm sure they would have rather have been playing football.
1: <laughs> well, Matt, I have a question for you. I, you know, as a woman, as and as a mother of three girls, I'm wondering how can women and girls, for that matter, support men. In, you know, in this kind of big transformation that's happening, like, what can we do to empower men to kind of discover, you know, their whole selves? Because really, as I look at it, it's not like we're teaching men something they didn't know, it's allowing them to really be who they are, which is also emotional, compassionate beings. And so do you have any thoughts on that? Like, how have you asked women or girls to support boys in this process?
2: Well, one of the things that is helpful as we get boys and girls together is for the girls to be honest, you know, about what it feels like when men, you know, um, you know, when men act and behave in ways that line up with those traditional gender stereotypes. What that actually feels like as a woman to be the recipient of that, um, and to have open conversations about it. And uh, so that that's one thing. The uh, You know, in our program, we spend a lot of time, actually in all of our programs, um, around uh, gender stereotypes. And, you know, we try to break down the myth of what, you know, what it means to be a man. And, you know, when you start engaging boys and girls or men and women in that discussion, you get a very consistent uh, set of answers around what society has been telling boys they need to be to be a, you know, to be a strong man. And it's all about the power and control and dominance and, you know, oftentimes violence and, um, you know, the accumulation of money, the accumulation of women, and it's all the same sorts of things. And then we go through an exercise where we have the the boys and the girls, you know, talk about people in their lives that, um, you know, that they've respected men in their lives that they've respected and you know the boys and the girls both quickly point to you know it was my grandfather who you know he's compassionate he listens to me you know he takes walks with me you know he holds me on his lap and you get all these very different pictures of what you know you know what a compassionate you know um strong man in that sense would be and so it really breaks down kind of the myth and you know what the media portrays from what Um, you know these kids really believe when they think about it so we challenge them a little bit in the in the session or I guess a lot to really with this information establish their own values um, so that when they see things happening outside of those values either you know their own behaviors or other behaviors that they're able to hold themselves and others accountable um, and step in and try to steer it in the right direction but, um, uh, you know, a lot of it is just communication between yeah. boys and girls and men and women to work on this together.
1: Um, I agree.
0: Well, um, yeah. this is uh, what last question, then we're going to let you go. Um, I th- I have made the statement on our podcast earlier that there's so many different resources for young girls, as well there should be. But I also feel like whether it's an online thing, like there's Mighty Girl, mm-hmm. there's a whole bunch of things yeah. out there. Amy
1: Poehler, Smart Girls. There's, right. there's just a lot of pages dedicated to girls.
0: And maybe they're out there for boys, but I feel like they're hiding from my ability to catch them. And I, do you have any good resources for any moms or dads that are listening right now who have sons that they can kind of we can point them in that direction?
2: You bring up a, a a very good question I mean there's been a lot of work done for you know decades now on helping to develop healthy girls and empowering girls. Um, the work for boys has been lagging um, and that's why in a in a sense we've been a pioneer in that space since nineteen ninety seven or so um, There are a lot of um, you know there's a lot of isolated groups beginning to do this, but it's not the norm um, and it's not easy to find. We do have, um, you know, and, and one of the other things that we have realized is that, you know, the, the younger you begin to work with boys to sort of set that foundation, um, and break down some of those, um, stereotypes that get set fairly early, the better. Um, so we do have a third program as well. I'll just quickly say the boys outdoor leadership development program bold, which works with seven to 10 year olds. And, the reason I bring that up is it's an answer to your question. There's not a lot of other environments where boys that age can go to really learn about character traits of becoming a leader, to have the opportunity to sit in a circle and process some of how they're feeling about these fun activities that they're taking part in. And it's just a different setting than what boys find themselves having the opportunity to participate in. Um, in answer to your question, there's not a lot of, um, There's not a lot of organizations that are taking, I think, the approach that we are of sort of working with boys of all ages and with men to sort of, you know, continue to challenge those, you know, century-old gender stereotypes that are, you know, both damaging to women and limiting to men.
0: well, and I figured that there, I mean, I've done extensive searches and I found you guys and I was so pleased. I'm like, oh my God, whoever's running this, I got to have them on because it's just so hard to find somebody like you or a program program like the one that you have uh, is out there. So I'm going to give you a few quick plugs here. Obviously, you have a Facebook page. Uh, and what is the Facebook page called, honey? No, I don't know. What
2: is the Facebook page yeah, called, Matt? It's Maine Boys to Men with Maine spelled out, M-A-I-N-E, boys okay. to men.
0: And the website is Maine, Maine Boys to o r g. You have a donate button on there. So if there's any listeners that just believe in some of the things that, that Matt's doing, um, please feel free. We invite you, encourage you to do that. Is there any other ways that we can support what it is that you're doing, Matt?
2: You know, that's the biggest. I mean, any level of support goes a long way to us delivering these programs, both to fathers and to students. We hold a lot of community events where we serve parents as well as well as others in the community. So any of you know any level of support is very much appreciated toward that end. Um, you can also follow us on Twitter at uh, uh, Boys to Men um, and. Uh, those are the best ways to sort of keep posted on the work that we're doing.
1: Thank you.
0: Awesome, Matt. Well, I can't say thank you enough for being on this podcast, and um, we look forward to uh, more interactions, whether it's virtual or, or otherwise. So thanks very much for being on the show.
2: Thank you both. I appreciate it.